Well, let's change gears, like I said. We're back in the Sermon on the Mount. Best sermon ever, Jesus' sermon. We're in chapter 6 of Matthew. I'd like to invite you to turn there. Matthew 6, looking at verses 14 and 15. We finished the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer. And we are moving on now. And so turn there to Matthew 6, 14 and 15. I want to talk about poison for a minute. Can I do that? Poisons are all around us. Did you know that? They're all over the place. We have, in our homes, we have medicines, detergents, cleaning products, toiletries, garden chemicals. I could go on and on. Other common household products, poisons. Now, the, the experts tell me that poisons can be categorized into four groups. The first group is kind of narrow. You may have heard of it, radiation. Anybody? I didn't, when the lights were down, I saw no one glowing, so I figured we're okay there. But the th other three groups are more broad, and they are agricultural and industrial chemicals, drugs and healthcare products, and biological poisons. What I would like to do now is I want to break down each group chemically so you can... Just kidding. Just kidding. I can't even spell chemically, all right? There's other people in the church that can help you with that. Why am I mentioning poison? I'm going to tell you why I'm mentioning poison. I came across a quote a while back from David Jeremiah. You may have heard of him. And this rocked my boat. Listen to this quote. Unforgiveness is like drinking poison, expecting it to kill the other person. Think about that for a minute. Let that sink in. We're going to talk about forgiveness and unforgiveness today. Here's the problem as I see it. God, each, each one of us, God has made each of us for so much more than we are experiencing right now. He has created us for so much more joy. He has created us for so much more peace. He has created us for so much more love, so much more wholeness. So what is it that's holding me back from this abundant life that God offers? Well, truth be told, it's often a secret pain or an open wound. We call it unforgiveness. So today, let us consider forgiveness. Corey Tin Boone, don't you love the story of her life? If you don't know it, just... Google it and find out. Here's a quote from her. Forgiveness is the key that unlocks the door of resentment and the handcuffs of hatred. It is a power that breaks the chains of bitterness and the shackles of selfishness. Let's look at verse 14 and 15 if we could. For, referring back to that model prayer that just has happened, for if you forgive people their wrongdoing, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive people, your Father will not forgive your wrongdoing. Let us pray. God, I would ask that you'd speak to hearts today. We would open our eyes and ears to your word. Thank you for God, what you've done in my life in preparation. And I pray that People today would do the work that you're requiring of us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 
So this is kind of controversial two verses. Did you notice that? People can take that a lot of different ways. And the question that I've received from this sometimes is, does Jesus teach works here? Are there works involved in salvation? I've got a theological term for you. Are you ready? Nope. <laughs> nope. You see, once followers of Christ have received salvation, they are to forgive with the same forgiveness with which they have been forgiven. So if you're forgiven today, if God has forgiven you of your sins, you should be and I should be willing to forgive with the same measure that God has forgiven us. You see, this is evidence that we are followers of God. This is evidence that we have been forgiven by God. It's not something we do to get God, but it's an evidence after God has saved us, has transformed us, has come into our life. And I just want to tell you, flat out, that's the truth. It's evidence. And so we should have the evidence of forgiveness in our lives. That's tough, isn't it? Well, you don't know what happened to me. You're right, but guess what? You don't know everything that happened to me either. Forgiveness. A person who has truly experienced the mercy and grace of God will experience a transformed heart that gives the same mercy and grace to others. I heard it this way. Maybe this will help you. The consequences for unforgiveness is torment before we die, whereas the consequence for rejecting Jesus is torment after we die. There's a big difference. It's not works it's evidence, it's a fruit of what's going on in our life. You see, forgiveness is an important subject. I was blown away by uh, uh, John R.W. Stott, maybe you know that name, that uh, theologian, that commentator. He had a quote in one of his books, and it was a quote from the head of a large English mental hospital a number of years ago, and this is what the guy said. I could dismiss half my patients tomorrow if they could be assured of forgiveness. Think about that for a minute. As we look at verse 14 and 15, in, in uh, my translation, it says, for if you forgive people their wrongdoing, remember that was one of the words for sin that we looked at a couple weeks ago, the five different words. And uh, wrongdoing, remember, it, it literally is falling to one side, to stumble, to fall, to slip, to blunder. It's a lapse or deviation from the truth or from uprightness. And forgive simply means to send away, to let go. That's the hard part right there. Let it go. We could say this today, and I would say this today. Don't ask God to do something you are not willing to do. That's how I would translate that. Are you hearing me today, church? Don't ask God to do something that you're not willing to do listen I'm preaching from experience today this, unforgiveness has been a very difficult part of my life and maybe it is for yours as well so I thought to help us out we're gonna do uh, five case studies so I want you to take your Bible and turn to Matthew 18 we're gonna look at a parable the first case study is gonna be really long but don't panic the next four are really short okay but uh, we want to look at uh, Matthew 18 starting in verse 21 you may know it as the parable of the unforgiving servant or slave 
And we're going to read a few verses and commentate and read a few more verses. So let's start with the parable. Verse 21, Matthew 18. Then Peter came to him, Jesus, and said, Lord, how many times could my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? I tell you, not as many as seven, Jesus said to him, but 70 times seven. So here we see Jesus uh, giving us the context on the subject of forgiveness versus unforgiveness. Should I forgive? Should I not? And he gives us context here. In fact, his answer to a seemingly altruistic Peter. Do you see how Peter is? He's kind of, hey, I'm willing to forgive. How many times, right? No, Jesus' answer is an outwardly impossible number. Here's the principle I want you to get from this parable and what Jesus' response is. It's this, and it's a very hard principle. God wants and expects you and me to forgive everyone for everything, every time. Now, in your sermon notes there, you have it, it says principle. You have a chance to write this in under case study number one. Let me say it again. God wants and expects you and me to forgive, here it is, everyone for everything, every time. And let me just give a disclaimer this morning. I'm not saying you forget what has happened. I'm not saying there are not consequences to our sins and other people's sins. I'm not saying there's not scars. Many of us, if we've lived long enough, we have scars on our body, don't we? On our skin. We sure do. Perhaps the surgery took care of something. The scar is still there. That's okay. So I'm not saying that. I'm not discounting that open wound you might have, that pain that you might have. But the scripture is clear. Listen to Luke 17, 3 and 4. Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he, this blows me away, and if he sins against you seven times in a day and comes back to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Let's continue on with the parable. Pick it up in verse 23. Jesus speaking. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who wanted to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began to settle accounts, one who owed 10,000 talents was brought before him. Since he had no way to pay it back, his master commanded that he and his wife and his children and everything he had be sold to pay the debt. Wow. At this, the slave fell face down before the master and said, Be patient with me, and I will pay you everything! Exclamation point. Then the master of that slave had compassion, released him, and forgave him the loan. So now we see Jesus illustrating the principle, his teaching. He begins to illustrate it, and it's very powerful. He talks about a guy who owes 10,000 talents. Are you aware of how absurd that is? Have you studied that kind of stuff? A talent was the largest denomination of currency. Uh, 10,000 talents is more than a lifetime income for his hearers. Some scholars would say that one talent was the equivalent, are you ready for this? The equivalent of up to 20 years wages for a laborer. 10,000 of those. And yet we see in the parable as Jesus teaches that 
the king forgives. You know, it's what Jesus has done for us. We, we have a debt far beyond 10,000 talents. It's not a lifetime's worth of income or payment. It's eternal. It's eternal. It's our sin that we have. And Christ has done things for us. Listen to Colossians 2.14. Think about your Jesus for a moment. He erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it out of the way by nailing it to the cross. Isn't that good news? Isn't that a good example for us to think about? Wow, let's continue on with this case study. Pick it up in verse 28. But, don't you love when but is there? So forget all the forgiveness. Forget all that stuff. Forget that dead. Look what happens here now. But that slave, the forgiven one, went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him. He started choking him. I'm not making this up. And said, pay what you owe. At this, his fellow slave fell down and began begging him, kind of like he did with the master, right? Be patient with me, and I will pay you back. But he wasn't willing. On the contrary, he went and threw him into prison until he could pay what was owed. Well, we see the story's not over. This servant's debt, this slave's debt is pocket change compared to the first forgiven servant and notice the response from the the servant the slave who was just forgiven forgiven his response to this guy who owes him pocket change is unforgiveness well let's continue on verse 31 when the other slaves saw what had taken place they were deeply distressed and went and reported to their master everything that had happened now don't call them tattletales all right, this is not being a tattletale. It's just stating a fact of something that's very grievous that happened. So they went and told the master everything that happened. Then, after he had summoned him, his master said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you also have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And his master got angry and handed him over to the jailers until he could pay everything that was owed. I think there's something very important to note here that we miss sometime. In the area of forgiveness versus unforgiveness, people are watching us. Did you know that? People are observing you. What you do with forgiveness, what you do with unforgiveness, people are watching you. We have here the other servants, the other slaves, and they're heartbroken over what they had seen happen. And they went and told the master. And the master then turned this unforgiving servant over to the torturers, the jailers, until his debt was paid. Now, do you remember anything about his debt? That's forever. It's impossible to pay it. He was turned over forever. I want you to see that. And the word for torture here is used elsewhere in the New Testament. It refers to physical suffering in the New Testament. It refers to emotional suffering. It refers to the pain of childbirth. It also refers to eternal torment. That's a powerful, wide-ranging word. And let me just say this. I want you to think about this. There is great suffering 
in unforgiveness. Great suffering in unforgiveness. Well, let's finish up case study number one. Look at verse 35. We continue to read the words of Jesus. And he says to those folks, My heavenly Father will also do to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from his heart. Here I think we see the connection between unforgiveness and suffering. Now let me note something. It, it is clear that not all suffering is a result of unforgiveness. Are you okay with that? We could go to the Gospel of John and other places. It shows suffering for different reasons. Okay? I'm not saying any suffering that you have is a direct result only of unforgiveness. But there is definitely a connection between suffering and unforgiveness. Remember, the word forgive here, it's, it's the word that means to put away, to send away, to leave it, let it go. The idea here is to forgive one time, once and for all. I want you to catch that. That's the idea. That's what the master did. I forgive you once and for all. That's God's way. Did you know that? Our way requires a bunch of steps, doesn't it? Our way requires a pound of flesh, right? Let me, let me get you a little bit, and then forgiveness will come. No, God's is, I forgive you once and for all. Let us do it God's way. I would appeal to you today, let God heal your wound. Well, there's an addendum to this case study number one. Here it is. You might want to jot it down. It's Mark 11, 25, and 26. Mark 11, 25, and 26. And whenever you stand praying, basically that means you're at church, right? You're at the temple. Whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, I underline the any's, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him. There's no conditions. Forgive him. So that your Father in heaven will also forgive you your wrongdoing. But if you don't forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your wrongdoing. Wow. Well, that's the long one. Let's move on to the short ones. Case study number two. You should have that there. That's the Luke 23 passage. Case study number two. Just the first part of verse 34. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they are doing. Jesus is on the cross and he says this here's the principle jot this down here's the principle we don't have to wait to choose freedom through forgiveness we don't have to wait we don't have to wait amidst great suffering Jesus forgave the very people killing him isn't that amazing okay Case study number three. We go back to Luke 17, 3 and 4. Read it earlier, quoted it. Let me read it again. Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and comes back to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. I share this again for this principle. Here's the principle. Don't keep count of how often you forgive. Listen. Don't keep count of how often you forgive. I've heard it before. Well, I forgave him. A I, I forgave him for that and for that. You're keeping count. Do you remember 1 Corinthians 13? The love chapter? Anybody? 
There's a little phrase in there. It says, love keeps no, do you know it? Records of wrongs. It doesn't say love doesn't deal with wrongs or is oblivious to it. It says there's no ledger where love is keeping track. Agape love is keeping track of the wrongs. wrongs. So I say to you, don't keep count how often you forgive. Case study number four. You might want to turn to Acts quickly. Acts 7 57 through 60. You'll know this chapter 7 talks about a number of things, and a guy named Stephen comes on the scene. I want to read verses 57 through 60, if I could. This is what's happening. This is the climax of what is going on in this scene. Then they, these peop- the people, they screamed at the top of their voices. They stopped their ears, and they rushed together against him. It's like they're screaming and doing this, all right? They're not wanting to deal with anything, the message or anything that's going on, okay? You can picture this. And look what happens. They rush him, verse 58. They threw him, Stephen, out of the city and began to stone him. Do you know what that is? Do you know what that type of death is? We don't do that, at least in our country, right? That's when you take up big rocks and you start pummeling that person a bunch of people with rocks until they die I can think of a lot of better ways to die how about you that does not oh and I've been in fights before and I I was young once I I won some and I lost some but that nothing compared to big rocks being thrown and being I just can't imagine this is what they do they began to stone him and the witnesses laid their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. That's another sermon. And they were stoning Stephen as he called out. Look at this. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Well, that's a good thing for a believer to do, right? He knew where he was going. But look at verse 60. Then he knelt down. Okay, he's being stoned. He knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin he's emphatic and saying this he fell asleep which is the Bible's way of of saying for a believer he died now picture that Stephen if you didn't know he's the first recorded Christian martyr in the New Testament and he sought forgiveness for those who were literally murdering him it wasn't a crime it was his stand that he took for Jesus Christ so here's the principle this may seem silly to you, but it's very practical. The best time to forgive is now. Stephen didn't have much time left. He was being murdered. And he asked for forgiveness. The best time to forgive is now. And then we go back to Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, for case study number 5, Matthew 7, verse 12. 7, 12. Jesus speaking, therefore, whatever you want others to do for you, do also the same for them. This is the law and the prophets, Old Testament reference there. Now, we're going to talk more about this verse next year. When we eventually get to chapter 7, we'll look at that. But here's the principle I want you to get. Your mama has probably said it to you when you were growing up. Do just as you want others to do for you. 
Don't you want to be forgiven? I do. I do. So do it to others. In other words, forgive as you would like to be forgiven by others. Okay, so what are we to do? Bruce Wilkinson helps us here. I got to give credit to Sam Malk. He was my sermon researcher on this one. He didn't know it, but he gave me some stuff to look at. And I was captured by the practical, systematic look that Bruce Wilkinson gives us here. So you've got some blanks. I want to make sure you get them filled in. And we have some scripture. I want to make sure you jot them down here. What are we to do? Number one, open your heart to forgive. Number one, what, what can I do? All right, Lamar, you got me convinced. What do I do? Open your heart to forgive. Do you remember Matthew 18, 35? We were just there a little bit ago. It, it was to forgive with the heart. You see, we need heart forgiveness, not just head forgiveness. You see, that's the problem for some of us. In our, it's been academic exercise or an intellectual ascent to forgive, but it never got to the heart. It stayed in the head. So we need heart forgiveness. Ultimately, that's where we're hurt, right? In the heart. I don't mean literally in the heart. You know what I mean. In our soul, our spirit, and in the innermost part of us, that's where we're hurt. And we need to forgive there. And let me say this. We need to let our self-protection of our wound go away. Some of us have held a wound of unforgiveness for so long that we are really good about protecting it. It's like those games on the internet, you know, you can build a fort and a fort and then you, you upgrade and now you got a tank and you upgrade and now you got missiles and all that kind of stuff. We're really good at protecting that wound instead of let God heal it. We'll just keep it right here. No, we're not letting anyone get in there. Open your heart to forgive. Number two, extend compassion to the hurtful person. This is difficult. Extend compassion to the hurtful person. Well, how can we do that? What's the example? We'll go back to Matthew 18, case study number one. We do just like the master did. And we don't do like that servant did. Let compassion be the door to forgiveness. Compassion always softens our hearts. Number three, release that person from prison. Release that person from prison. Again, in verse 27 of Matthew 18, he forgave the debt. Remember, the master was going to throw him into prison. It was a debt that never could be paid. There was no way. He could never pay it. But he forgave. He released him. Instead of prison, and by the way, it wasn't just him, was it? It was his wife and his kids and everything. So instead of prison, he was forgiven. We, we need to follow God's example here. Jot down Colossians 1, Colossians 1, 13 and 14. Think about what Jesus has done. Think about what God has done. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the son he loves. We have redemption, the forgiveness of sins in him. Number four, forgive each wrongdoing, offense, and wound. Forgive each wrongdoing, offense, and wound. And again, we go back to the parable. Verse 27, the master did not say, all right, we'll work out a payment plan. You guys aware of those things? He did not do that. 
He released him from all of the debt. You see, after opening your heart, after extending compassion, after releasing someone from your heart prison, you are now ready to drain the infection of your wounds. And I would encourage you to say something like this, to, to be specific, to say, I forgive you for whatever it is. Say it, list it, be specific. And we're to do this for each wrongdoing. Number five, bless and do good to that person. Okay, you tuned me out right there, didn't you? I think you did. Bless and do good to the person. Do you remember the Sermon on the Mount we've been going through? Go back to chapter 5, would you? Go back to chapter 5. We've already studied this, verses 44 and 45. Just in case you or I have any doubt about what we should do. Let's read it. But I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. And look what God does. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Well, maybe we don't know everything about that, but we know this. We're not God. God is God. He chooses to do things as he wills, and we don't really understand that. Perhaps we will when we get to heaven someday. I don't know. Maybe we'll never understand it totally. We're not God. Let God be God. Bless and do good to the person. Do what? It says it right there in verse 44. Love and pray. And I acknowledge that this is so incredibly difficult in some cases. But what God desires for us to do. Let me be transparent with you. I like to be transparent. I've discovered in my life going through preparation for this sermon. You know sermons, you don't just wake up on Wednesday put something together and then you're ready to go or I know there's the idea that Saturday night preachers are busy no no it, it's you you let it percolate you live it you live the verses and I want to be transparent with you I discovered that I still had some unforgiveness in my heart towards my mom my mom's been dead for I think 10 years 10 years 10 years and I thought I had dealt with everything. I made sure that I was not going to be a victim of childhood. Right? There's people that are victims of their childhood. I, once you hit adult, once you're an adult, hey, be an adult. Quit blaming mom and dad or a lack of mom and dad. Be an adult. Get on with your life with Christ. But that doesn't mean there still couldn't be something there. And so I'm wrestling with that, church. I'm not telling you anything that God hasn't told me unforgiveness it's easy to just have a blind eye towards it instead of really looking at it. my prayer has been that this coming week some of you will wrestle with great tears and anguish over some unforgiveness in your heart that God reveals to you and there'll be freedom in your life well I want to close in this way don't close everything up yet we have a postscript you know what that is what's a postscript you write P.S., right? Did you? Now you know. You wonder, what does P.S. mean? It doesn't mean pretty stupid. It means postscript. <laughs> I want to mention this. 
And again, I have been wrestling with this one. I wrestled with it this morning even. How's that for up to date? Here's the postscript. Here's something we must do. Forgive yourself. I believe that there are quite a few people in this room today, perhaps watching online, that the key to forgiveness in your life is that you have not truly forgiven yourself. Sometimes the deepest unforgiveness is towards ourselves. Listen to Leviticus 19.18. You've heard it. Do not take revenge or bear grudge against members of your community, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am Yahweh. James picks it up. James 2.8. Indeed, if you keep, he calls it the royal law. If you keep the royal law prescribed in the scripture, and then he says what it is. Love your neighbor as yourself. There it is again. I want to tell you something. God can help you do this. God will help you. Psalm 86.5 says this, For you, Lord, you are kind. You are ready to forgive. Listen to this. You are rich in faithful love to all who call on you. Listen, that's not just for salvation. We can call upon God to help us with the difficulty of forgiving ourselves and others. Here's something else I would encourage you to do. If you've not forgiven yourself. Listen, I'm going to tell you right now, I run into a lot of Christians who have low self-esteem. And most of the time, not all the time, most of the time, you know what it is? They haven't forgiven themselves. They don't see what their identity, that their identity is in Christ, that they are redeemed. They are truly forgiven. And even after being a Christian, they can confess their sins, and God is faithful to continue to forgive. Apply unconditional love to yourself. Again, 1 Corinthians 13 is the chapter for unconditional love. Let me read verses 4 through 7. Apply this to your life, to you. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy, is not boastful, is not conceited, does not act improperly, is not selfish, is not provoked, does not keep a record of wrongs, now think about yourself. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do these things. Finally, church, let me wrap up in this way. The proof that we have been forgiven is that we are forgiving. That's the proof. That's the proof. We can forgive because God has forgiven our unpayable debt. Releasing forgiveness will remove hindrances from our relationship with the Lord and unleash a powerful prayer life. And we didn't even touch on that much. That un unforgiveness really impacts our prayer lives. Remember this, it has been said, a friend of mine said it this way, a pack of grudges is the heaviest thing you can carry around in life. One final thought before we pray is this. You can't give away what you don't have. We saw these verses and how it said if you don't forgive, okay. But if you are forgiven, you can forgive in this way.
So the question this morning is, have you received forgiveness from God? Listen, you can't give away this kind of forgiveness to others if you have not received this forgiveness. God demonstrated his love, the Bible says, and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. God initiated a rescue plan for sinners. Humans, the epitome, the pinnacle of his creation, created, why were we created? To have fellowship, perfect fellowship with God, right? And we blew it. Grandpa Adam, Grandma Eve, and every person since, right? Flood didn't even fix it, did it? Noah came right out and kept sinning and it just kept going and now here we are today. Listen, God stands ready to forgive you. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is a gift from God, not of works so that no one can boast. God even gives you and me the faith to run to him and repent and, and, and ask Please forgive my sin. And he is faithful and does it. He does not hold grudges. He does not harbor unforgiveness, but he forgives. Have you done that today? I would encourage you. Listen, God can forgive you today. Quit worrying about what church you're in, what family you came from, what crazy teaching from the Bible or somewhere else that you thought you heard. Listen, it's simple. The Bible says it's like a childlike faith. Kids get it. Adults, sometimes we have trouble getting it. God can and will forgive you. Turn to him, run to him, believe in him, trust him. Let's pray. God, we just ask on this difficult day that you would help us with this difficult subject. Lord, I'm praying for many people who have unforgiveness in their heart. That you would release them from that prison. God, I pray you'd help them. It might be a difficult conversation, a difficult phone call, a difficult email, but that we would forgive. It is what Scripture commands us to do. So God, as people wrestle this week, I ask that you would be near and close. God, acknowledging that wounds might still be present, but that you would begin to stitch those wounds with your true and faithful and steady hand, God. So we ask for your help today. In the name of Jesus, we pray.